Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Welcome back, everybody. We're here at the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast here on an early Wednesday morning. It's gloomy outside in Brampton, Ontario, just like how it is for the Miami Heat. The skies are not looking good for them. But we've got a special guest joining us today for this episode, our first guest of the show. We are joined by David Lockheed, our colleague at Carleton University. What's up, David? Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be here. And of course, we've got the regular Jeff Cham here. How's it going, man? Not too bad, man. How about you, bro? Man, I'm I'm kind of gloomy right now because you know when I woke up, the clouds were up. It's an, it wasn't sunny, <laughs> and all I can say is the Miami Heat. They are searching for answers right now because they are down three-one in the NBA Finals. So how about we just get right into it with some talk about the finals? So last night. The Lakers took a commanding 3-1 lead in the series. And I guess I just want to ask you guys, what are your keys to the series so far? How about we start out with David? Well, I think it's a, it goes when Bam is not playing compared to when Bam is playing. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like they're totally different matchups. From what I've seen, it's been... Whenever Bam's in there, it's AD's center. And whenever he's not, they have Dwight out there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been like the two different, I, I guess, teams that we've seen or different uh, back and forth that I've seen. And uh, I feel like Miami, just watching them or the team, you kind of, as a casual fan, you want to root for a bit more because they include everyone in the offense. But when LeBron James and AD are have chemistry and especially when Rajon Rondo's out there to help with the ball handling, everyone yes. else has to place. I felt like at the start of the playoffs, the Lakers offense looked really clunky and everyone was talking about, Oh, it's Avery Bradley that needs to be out there. Turns out I think it was just someone like Rondo to kind of make sure that Caruso isn't the one that playing point guard and he's just cutting and doing spot up shots. Same with yeah. the other players on their team. So I think that player that only scored two points last night makes all the difference in terms of just how their offense flows. We all know their defense is good, especially when you can match BAM with a better BAM. So that's been the case for them. Then on the other side, I feel like Jimmy Butler is inevitable. Mm -hmm. At some point in every playoffs, in every season, 
Jimmy will be right in your face, screaming in the TV camera as he's winning a game, a big game. Like him or not, I'm a Raps fan, so I tend to not like him. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, he, I can't deny that. He always has his moment. And uh, he had that moment in game three. I just think with, especially with him on the heat, he doesn't have those moments every game like he did in the Philly series with uh, the Raptors last year. He's uh, a... Yeah. He, you know, he has those big games every once in a while. But if Miami was to make this uh, a real series, uh, Jimmy would have to be that man, that 40-point triple-double man every single game. Yeah, and I don't expect him honestly to do that because he's a great player. But I don't think he can sustain that level of play over you know, a seven-game series where he needs to do that for four games for the Miami Heat to win in this series. But on your points about Rondo, I think – he's the biggest difference maker in this series because while he's not going to score that many points, he's going to facilitate that ball the way that, you know, LeBron James can play off ball and that helps the Laker offense flow a lot better. And I also think he's just making the hustle plays that you need from a championship level roster. The the Lakers are winning a lot of 50, 50 balls because of Rondo's ability to get the offensive rebound, tap it out to some, someone on the wing. So I felt like even though Rondo only had two points last night, he was a plus eight. He was um, the second highest uh, plus minus on the team besides Anthony Davis with 17 and KCP who stepped up big last night too Mm -hmm. with a plus eight on the box minus two. So I felt like the Lakers biggest question mark all season has been their, their secondary guys, the role players, who's going to step up from those guys. And, you know, Danny Green hit shots last night. KCP was on fire and Rondo was clutch. He, he made the plays that needed to be made. So I think because the Lakers have finally had their rotation step up, and I also want to shout out Kyle Kuzma because <laughs> Lakers fans have been ruthlessly cut like teeth. Like they just hate Kyle Kuzma for some reason. I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, the, the inconsistency for sure, but there was a petition made by uh, LA fans, like Laker fans, to not give Kyle Kuzma a ring if they won the championship. <laughs> that's that's savage, all I can say, because Kyle Kuzma is still a professional basketball player. Like, I don't care what, like, what anyone says. Yeah. Like, even us, because we're not basketball players. We're just bums out here talking about basketball. But Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm sorry. But... Kyle Kuzma is a basketball player, man. He's going to be out there to perform. And whether he does or not on a nightly basis, you can't blame him because I don't know if anyone can do better that's talking. So Kyle Kuzma showed up big in um, game three. And all I can say is, you know, the Lakers players, they're finally showing up. And I think we're, we're looking at the 2020 champs now. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, you picked Miami, right? I just wanted I to did. make that clear. Uh, yep, we clear. will make that clear. I picked Miami to win in seven. Yep. No Dragic. No Dragic injuries. Yeah. Big, yeah. Difference. Big difference between that... him and Kendrick Nunn on the floor. <laughs> yeah, that that's a big difference. And I saw Nunn was actually um, he was trending on Twitter, probably for the wrong reasons. Um, mm. So for this series, um, actually, I wanted to quickly touch on Jimmy Butler. I agree with everyone, uh, both you guys. Um, I've always, like I said before, I don't think Jimmy Butler is a superstar, but he has this tough mentality where he's going to get those those um, important games because of the way he plays, his intensity. 
Um, and that's why I think that in some ways he is deserving of that max contract. And that's why the Miami Heat uh, really value him as a player. Um, for this series, though, um, yeah, I kind of expected this. Even uh, if with a Miami, a healthy Miami team, there was no one going to stop a duo of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, the interesting debate um, for when the Lakers do win is who's going to win MVP, uh, finals MVP. And um, I think LeBron James himself wouldn't mind if 80 wins, but it's actually closer than I would think, you know, because um, LeBron's also had some great games. Um, AD, he kind of struggled in uh, game three. He only had like 15 points, I believe. Um, and that was without Bam too. So, um, uh, but but LeBron James, um, he's going to win his, another championship. And um, I'm really happy about that. You know, I don't think it's even close with the finals MVP race, to be honest with you. Because as great as Anthony Davis is, like he had one sequence in that last game where he, he had a yeah. block on, I believe it was Jimmy Butler or someone on yeah. one end, and then he hit a three on the other end. So the two-way play of Anthony Davis has been great, but it's not close, man. LeBron James is the difference maker in this series because he can just get his points whenever he wants. He facilitates the ball whenever he mm-hmm. wants. He can do whatever he wants, and you know Miami can't really stop him that much. Like Jimmy Butler is a good defender. I'll give him credit for that, but he's not going to shut down LeBron James. No one's going to stop LeBron. <laughs> as we saw in the last couple of games, Anthony Davis can be somewhat nullified, as I did predict correctly in, in our series preview. I did say that Miami could stop one of the two. So Anthony Davis has been nullified mostly because Miami has decided to abandon the zone, and they're starting to you know use their man-to-man coverage more. And they're also just stopping – that the actions that the Lakers have in terms of getting the ball to Anthony Davis, they're making it hard for him to catch the ball. So I felt like that pressure has also made a difference. But um, what else are your observations here, David? Like, What else is making a difference here for Miami? So I actually have a hot take on that debate. Okay. No pun I intended. Think, Heat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that we would be – talking about the Lakers as chance right now if LeBron didn't sabotage game three because he was gunning for that finals MVP. Mm. Oh, that's right. That's Ooh. right. I saw in those first five minutes, you could, you could tell between after game two, everyone's talking about the coronation, LeBron versus MJ. He's in the bubble. All he has yes. time to do is be on social media, hear yeah. all this stuff. And you can see it in the first five minutes. There's a usually LeBron and AD. The way his Lakers teams work is LeBron sets up AD. He gets him his touches. He gets him his yep. rhythm, and they work from there. But you could tell the way LeBron is starting a little bit of end of game two, and it really showed in get, start of game three. LeBron was kind of looking for uh, looking for his buckets and looking for his a nice assist, not to AD to start off. Got AD in a bad rhythm, and got him in foul trouble. Everyone's going to say AD got in foul trouble. He had a bad game. He did. Mm-hmm. But LeBron was doing him no favors at this start. I got <laughs> sneaking suspicion. LeBron got a bit too carried away with the narrative. And that's why he was so pissed walking down, getting outside, walking down the floor for uh, game three, because he knew it. He knew he messed up. It's that Mamba yeah. mentality, man. That yeah. Mamba well, mentality. Well, he wanted to chase Jordan. <laughs> he wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, he definitely cares about his legacy. And I think that in the back of his mind, I think he's kind of like 
already sees the championship. And I guess like I guess that um, the hot take isn't that much of a hot take. I think it's kind of true. Um, he had eight turnovers that game too, by the way. Um, not good. Not good. Um, but moving forward, uh, do you see them winning in five, or do you think that he can take another game? Uh, I think I see them winning in five, but I wouldn't be surprised if he'd come out and win game five because they did it in game three without, without Bam. Um, I know that kind of opened things up for them and having, you know, these two tall white guys that just shoot threes and play terrible defense was, you know, a different look for the Lakers to deal with. And that kind of gave them the surprise element. But, you know, we'll see what happens in game five. Maybe Bam's a bit better. They figure something out. I think Eric Spolstra is the better coach in this series. Uh, <laughs> Frank Vogel, I mean, I was kind of surprised that he subbed out Dwight because that kind of, that's how I view how stubborn he is. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that he's a terrible coach. I just think Eric Spolstra is one of the best in the league. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I, do, I do, though, think that if the Lakers can come out and play a good game, uh, you know, hot takes aside, I think LeBron realized run the offense through AD and then get your make your impact throughout the game through that kind of system like they've been running all throughout the year. They tightened mm-hmm. that up last game. And I saw Lakers having decent shooters making good shots and mm-hmm. Miami having good shooters taking tough shots. Yeah. So I think, I think when I think I'd take the players taking good shots any day and uh lakers are getting those so i do think that it's going to be lakers in five i don't think i agree i don't think it's going to go past six though here's what i think miami needs to do i think they just need to stop starting jay crowder because he is terrible (laughs) he he just bricks every wide open look and i'm just thinking kelly olenic played pretty good in that in those two games where bam was out and he was hitting his shot so I don't know, man. When when the Miami Heat have their back against the wall, they have to try something new. I I don't know if what a Kelly Olynyk and Bam front court looks like against the Lakers to start out the game, but they need to try something because they need to get production out of that four spot outside of Jay Crowder using hard fouls on LeBron James. Like that's not gonna help out your cause if you're the Miami Heat. So whether it's using a guy like Kelly Olynyk. Myers Leonard, I've, I've been a big fan of his enthusiasm on the bench. You know, he's very active uh, and very vocal, so yeah. calling things out. But, you know, his, his play needs to translate too. So we'll, we'll have to see what Miami does in game five but, or in game six. But I don't know. There's not a lot they can do because LeBron's just ready to take his championship. And I feel if Jimmy Butler doesn't have another great game like he did in – game three that 40 point triple double i don't think miami can survive much longer in this series which that that stat line what, what was the stat like he it was the first time he um first time outsc- lebron james has been outscored out rebounded out assisted in the finals, in nba yeah. finals game yes that was one of the historic regardless of the outcome of this final that's a historic performance for sure and jimmy butler also joined jerry west and lebron james as the only yeah. players in nba history nba finals history to have a 40 point triple double in the finals so mm-hmm. you, that's just an all-time performance from jimmy butler and i feel like we can highlight that a little bit here because just that game in general it always felt like the lakers were close to winning that game 
Because you just thought like, okay, Anthony Davis and LeBron James are going to turn it up and yeah. it's going to be over for Miami. They're going to get swept. But then, you know, Jimmy Butler just kept going down the floor every single time, whether it's like turnaround jump shots, some some little like jump hooks in the paint. It To me, and granted, I never watched Jordan in his prime. I've only seen highlights of his games and stuff. But that performance to me was Jordan-esque. What do you think, oh, David? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it totally was. I just, I just think it's the thing with what separates superstars. Like, um, like you guys have mentioned, what separates superstars from a player like Jimmy is that a superstar will do that every game. Yep. Uh, the, the heat, uh, can't just call on Jimmy to do that every game. I think that's asking more. Uh, but I mean, honestly, I love the way this Miami team's built. I think it's good for the game as much as, you know, as I've mentioned, being a Raps fan, I hate Miami. And I'm somewhat jealous of them and their free agent allure. They, you know, they, they do things the way I think um, if you're the NBA and you want uh, good quality games throughout the season and the postseason, you want, they are finding guys in the margins. They develop them. Uh, they take picks outside the lottery and they make free agent signings and they're always trying to stay competitive. The Raptors are trying to do something similar up here. And uh, it, it shows on the court. Everyone has a purpose out there. Everyone is, you know, everyone's contribution really means something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it'll be a nice story, but you know, that's LeBron James has quashed a lot of nice stories because he's LeBron James. So yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the fear I have too with this Miami Heat team. I feel like with time, they're just going to be a like lost footnote in the NBA lore. Because this team has been constructed so well, and I don't think anybody picked them to make the finals at the start of this season. Granted, you know, we didn't expect a global pandemic to shake things up either. But it's just been very exciting to watch a team that's been built pretty much, you know, while they're still competitive. And, you know, they add all these pieces like Bam Adebayo, 14th pick in the draft. Tyler Hero, 13th pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. And then they sign a guy like Jimmy Butler. They surround them with a bunch of role players, even guys like Iguodala. And I mean, I was just harping on Jay Crowder, but Crowder has been good for them in some, some series this year. So I'll give him that. But all these little moves that they've made along with the big moves have equated to a championship level roster. And I think also with uh, the, the Raptors talk, you can see I'm wearing my championship hat right now. But <laughs> The, the Miami Heat, they're so, um, I guess as a Raptors fan, they're so kind of, they're kind of agonizing to watch because this is what we expected from the Raptors anyway. Because I think the Raptors are a very similar team where they don't have that alpha guy, I guess. And Jimmy Butler's way better than Pascal Siakam right now anyway. But the Raptors have been built the same way. You know, they get picks that are outside the lottery or in the lottery. And they also get undrafted players and they build their team up that way instead of, you know, traditionally what the big market teams do is allure the big free agents to come into the roster and then build around them. Well, I don't think the Raptors have a player like Tyler Hero because Tyler Hero is a young, exciting guard and um, he's a lottery pick too. Mm -hmm. And man, his potential, like he's a rookie, right? And he's playing like this in the playoffs and his the, the sky's the limit for that guy. Him and Bam. I don't even. I don't think we have a duel like uh, Hero and Bam. Speaking of sky, I just want to point out that shot that uh, Tyler Hero made yeah. over AD. 
that was oh my like, I, I dream of those shots. I mean, everyone on this podcast being under 6'3 and probably not having insane wingspan. Yeah. Those are the shots that I dream of where <laughs> it's just like a tall, tall man with long, long limbs like Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. You can still just shot put a shot over him. There's an absolute moonshot that goes in. That was insane. That's I a tough that shot. Tough. Yeah. He's been making those shots. I thought yeah. that he, um, I thought that he made Jason Tatum look real small last series because uh, Jason Tatum was supposed to be the guy that was the man in the in the tough moments. But here is a year-old rookie being the man in the tough moments. Ooh, so, yeah, um, Yeah, it was uh, Tyler Hero has gotten fans throughout the basketball world this playoffs, and they're well deserved. Yeah, no doubt. He's he's not afraid. He's going to take the shots in the big moments, whether he's ter- shooting terribly from the field or not. And th- I think that's what I respect the most about Tyler is he, he just has the guts and he shouldn't have the guts at 20 years old, just as a rookie to take these shots in the finals. Like, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it reminds me a little bit of Kobe because Kobe in his oh. first playoffs, he wasn't afraid to take the shots in the big moments. And granted, Kobe put up like two or three air balls to lose in the series versus the jazz but the fact that he's willing to take those shots at such a young age just goes to show that a lot of greatness is ahead i think for a guy like tyler hero he he puts in the work like, i think i saw an article talking about him being in the, i don't know where it was it was like somewhere abroad bahamas or something like that with kentucky and he was just in the gym shooting shots in the early in the morning so mm-hmm. with that work ethic and also those guts combined, I think we're going to see some big things from Tyler Hero moving forward. Yeah, I think that uh, there was also a video of, I believe, Zion talking about, like, watch out for um, Hero when he was still in high school because within the NBA, like, I guess the the NBA circle of the young prospects, people have known that he's been a shooter. But, like, I remember when he was drafted, people really didn't know, like, just the general fans were like, oh, who's this white guy? Who's this guy who's a shooter? But, like, he's obviously um, proven everyone wrong and surprised a lot of people. I didn't expect him to have the jump that he did this year. Um, so it's really impressive to see him. And then uh, the duel with him and Bam, again, Miami's got a bright future. And I'm jealous, again, as a Raptors fan as well. Um, uh, also, being from Miami, Miami's obviously a very nice destination for a lot of NBA players. Uh they can definitely attract um, a big free agent on top of their pretty decent roster they have right now. No state tax, baby. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that talk on BAM, too, there's just, like, some interesting things I've heard about BAM anyway that have had me questioning how good BAM can really become. But uh, one of the takes that I've heard anyway from um, podcasts I do over at ballandroll.com uh, one of my colleagues, he was talking about how Bam at 23 years old is already better than Giannis at 23. And he also said that Bam at 25, 26 is going to be better than Giannis at 25, 26. Like, what do you guys think about that? Wow. Um, that's a, hot that's take, a, that's a, for sure. Hot take. Uh You're right on the first end, I guess, because I think that uh, Giannis developed a little uh, slow because he was in the league for a bit, and then he just came out of nowhere. Where Bam, like, um, 
Well, actually, Bam at the same time, like, was he like, because he was under, he was the backup to Hassan Whiteside when he was yeah. playing with, yeah. He was a backup for Hassan Whiteside for a while. And then now he, this is his first year where he's really uh, had a chance to develop and showcase his game. Um, I think time will tell. It's hard. It's a hard question to answer right now because um, Jan, like, did the roles were different? Um, the pieces are different. Uh, having a good team around you uh, can help as well. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. What do you think? I'll say this with that take. It's definitely, I don't think it's outlandish because the stuff that I see Bam doing right now, like in terms of his ability to take the ball up on the court, and I think his shot is a little bit better than Giannis is right now too. He can pull up in the mid-range. I haven't seen him shoot too many threes yet, but just the fact that he has that ball handling capability, I think he can get there, but he's obviously not as physically imposing as Giannis. He's not going to overpower um, defenders the same way that Giannis does, but he's still strong and he's still fast. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets there, but I don't expect him to produce at the same like statistical level that Giannis does in the regular season anyway. Like, what do you think, David? Can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I actually just okay. changed the podcast to uh, explicit the other day because okay. I realized there were many times where we sworn on the podcast. So okay. we are officially explicit now. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, my response to that is, fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, no. No, not even close. Um, I love Bam. I think he'll be a great number two in the league. Uh, I think that's where his skill set is best. I think that jumper is looking, the form's looking great. I think that he'll be able to take jump shots in enough time. I think he'll be able to take three-point shots in enough time. That will really open up his game. But as we've seen up here in Toronto with Pascal Siakam, you can have an athletic player that does a lot of great things and has good mechanics for their shot, but it takes more than a year or two to really develop the necessary footwork, handles, that are required to become that ISO mid-range scorer that Jimmy Butler is, that to an extent, not I mean, not really LeBron or ID, but they do they they can do it. But I think the big thing about those guys that even Bam and Giannis have is that they are physical freaks on a level that even Bam isn't. I mean, Giannis is taller stronger and wider and we're talking and when we talk about band those are some of the same things that explosiveness that's just something natural that Giannis has he's done a really good job of improving himself and he's also someone that's really raw with his footwork and his handles and his shot and I don't know how that's going to improve because he's already worked a lot and it hasn't come along as much as Bucks fans would like but I just just think it comes down to what they already have uh, I think that Giannis is just, you know, he's the Greek freak, and it's in the name. I think Bam will always be a really good player. Offensive fulcrum, though, I'm not sure. I think that he's best served as your second best guy, your best defensive player, who's going to distribute, who's going to take the shots on that second defensive assignment. And his shot making will improve. I could be wrong, but... I mean, I've seen development cases like Pascal's, which are the most, you know, rapid progressions that even then they still struggle to do those things. 
Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, players can only improve so much to the point where it what separates the greats from like the super transcendent players, I believe, is just talent at the end of the day. Like you'd like to believe that hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. But in reality, in this world, when someone's just very, very talented at what they do, you can only work so hard to close the gap between those type of players. So when I think about like the super talented, like, you know, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, guys like that, where they work hard, but their talent is just going to always, always keep them at a different level than all the other guys. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the matchup right now between Bam and AD, it's not like you're matching up and Bam is like, oh man, this guy's just so much more skilled than I am. It's like, hey, this guy's taller and longer and he can move just like I can. What the hell? Yeah. There's a, bit, there's a bit of that. And there's, you know, that's just your body and what your limitations are. So. So I guess, uh, sorry, Jeff, you wanted to chime in on that? No, no, I actually was going to add a, f- to a few more points about the Lakers. Uh, number one, again, I want to give a shout out to KCP. He's been playing great. Um, I roast him. I'm hard on him. I know Laker fans are hard on KCP. They're hard on uh, Danny Green, KCP, Kuzma, all everybody. Yeah. I mean, they should be hard on Danny. He's been trash. Well, yeah, I was gonna. That's my second point. Was like, Danny Green's about to get another ring back to back. Yikes! He's gonna (laughs) join LeBron James as the only players I believe in NBA history. I think that have rings with three different teams. Yeah. There's also Robert Ory, and now that I think about it, there's a lot of players that have rings with multiple teams. But I think the argument there or the statistic there anyway was like the thing that Kawhi Leonard was supposed to do which is like yeah. finals MVP with three different uh three different uh teammates or t- three different teams sorry right. I just got flustered because uh some message popped up on my screen oh, apparently right. zoom is taken off the 40 limit time 40 minute time limit from our call a gift right, from right. zoom so <laughs> I mean I'm not going to give them a shout out because it's not sponsored but if they want to sponsor, you know, hit my line. Sponsor their shit, Zoom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yo, if they hook me up with a free uh, free membership, I'll take it. They don't even have to pay me. They can just give me that and I'll take it. But oh, it would help boy. out the podcast. But anyways, um, I guess to wrap up this finals talk, how about we just uh, look about uh, or talk about anyways, our observations moving forward. Like, What do you guys think? I'll start out with Miami. What do you guys think Miami needs to do to extend this series? And then we'll talk about Lakers afterwards. I think that, oh, thank you. I think that Jay Crowder needs to come into game five with a crowbar and take out LeBron's knees. Mm. Oh. Yeah, that sounds like uh, the only thing Crowder can do at this point. I mean, I saw Will Liu, who's a, who's a beat reporter for the Raptors, made a, tw- a tweet about how Jay Crowder hasn't forgotten that LeBron shipped him off to Utah. <laughs> I mean... It's true. You know, I mean, Jay Crowder doesn't need more motivation than he already has, but he, mu- he must have it. The man is possessed out there. He's trash, but he's possessed to try and take out LeBron James, and he yep. can do it. He has that I don't, I don't give a fuck attitude. Come out with that crowbar, Jay. Yeah, and they they have some beef too. Like a couple of fouls, LeBron James has not appreciated from Jay Crowder. I was like, "What you gonna do about it?" 
I would I would be I'd be right to fight that man. Honestly, like I don't know, man. Jay Crowder, he shouldn't start a fight with LeBron. LeBron's gonna kick yeah. his ass. Yeah. Jay Crowder is one of those like enforcers, like or those fake tough guys that like you know tries to instigate stuff. Um, yeah. I think that's why LeBron originally wanted him with the Cavs, um, but obviously, like you said, shipped him off to Utah. That Cavs team was a mess, by the way, a yeah. mess. Um, yeah. But. My key is, um, <laughs> although that's a very good suggestion, um, I would definitely say, of course, like we mentioned before, Jimmy Butler needs to have a superstar game again. Um, Gordon's done, right? Or is I believe he- he's done. Yeah, he tried yeah. playing that last game, but he just couldn't. Uh, he couldn't bear the pain. Like you saw him on the bench afterwards, after yeah. like shooting around, he was just crying. I've had friends that have had plantar fasciitis. You don't come back from that in a week. Yikes. Yeah, I saw the quote he said about like, why did it have to be now? Um, and I, I was I was heartbreaking. Imagine like going to the NBA finals, your first NBA finals, and that happens, especially mm-hmm. since you've had such a great playoff run just before that. Oh, that sucks. All I want like I I don't want to hate on Goran Dragic here, but I just remember this one play he had versus the Raptors where he took down OG after mm-hmm. like OG mm-hmm. went for a dunk and he like just pulled him down to the ground basically midair and i was just thinking you know i don't wish like injuries on any type of player like especially you know players that are in the finals because we want to see the best product out there as like basketball fans but you can't help but wonder if like karma has a role to play in this or something like that i don't know see Ooh, I, that. I thought you were going to mention the time goran dragic intentionally tripped og on the fast break that too yeah oh. he's, had, he's done that too um, yeah uh Goran Dragic, been very motivating for the Heat and for people to watch, but fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I I do feel bad, though, because he was set to earn a lot of money this offseason, and that's going to be a big question mark um, for him moving forward anyway, if he's going to get that contract still, because he is a pretty older – he's an older point guard. He's like 34, so he, he can still produce, but – Teams are not going to be willing to take that risk anyway for a guy like him coming off a f- torn plantar fascia. So, yeah, I mean, jokes aside, my keys to the series are for the Lakers, make sure that LeBron and AD are in sync. Um, I don't really doubt their defense, they've shown that all year. Uh, make sure that Rondo is still doing Rondo things and making smart plays, keeping his dribble alive, facilitating at the right times. For the Heat, um, disrupt AD. Uh, I think AD is can be shaken whenever you double-team him. He's not the best. Uh, it's going to have to come down to that. And uh, Jimmy Butler just pulling out another great game. As much as we like Tyler Hero, I don't think relying on him to take tough shot after tough shot is going to win you in the series. Yeah. I think uh, for the Lakers, I want to see them double Jimmy a little bit more because I, I believe Jimmy is going to come out in the next game with – that mentality to attack the same way he had in game three. I want to see the Lakers double team him a little bit more because that single single coverage was not working on Jimmy at all. And that last game, he didn't have, you know, the greatest game in the world, but you can't expect him to have such another transcendent performance when he's playing 45 plus minutes a game. Like that's just hard to sustain for literally anybody that's not LeBron James. So I think for the Lakers, I'd like to see them double Jimmy a little bit more. And I'd also like to see them 
you know, get more looks for guys like Danny Green and KCP. They're starting to turn it around. And I think the Lakers are going to be unstoppable if they just have a couple guys hitting shots that are open, which they're getting a lot of open looks. They're just not converting on all of them. So if they can do that and then also slow down Jimmy Butler just a little bit, it shouldn't be a problem for them to wrap this one up in five games. Mm -hmm. The big question I want to ask, and it's because I see it over uh, around social media, is does this championship count? And I know that's a simple question, an easy uh, question, but a dumb question. But um, I've hear, I hear things about how this is, <laughs> the joke that people are saying is that this is the Mickey Mouse ring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that would be kind of cool, not going to lie. Yeah, but does this championship count, do you think, for the Lakers and LeBron and his legacy? Go ahead, David. I think it's different because, you know, there is – there ha- not having fans has affected the outcome of series. Basketball is such a – you know, it's basketball is that sport where home court matters so much. Um, for whatever reason that is, I don't know if it's ever been a perfect science, but it just does. Um, I don't think Denver beats the Clippers without um, without this situation. Um, it's tougher for Miami to beat the Bucks and so forth. Yeah, but I mean that's a long-winded way of saying yeah. I think it counts because I think this happens every year. Should we put an asterisk on this one because such and such? And it's a lot of a lot of times it's ways for I think for fans to construct a narrative to what they want. Mm-hmm. I heard it last year with the Raptors. You know, you hear it with the 15-16 Golden State Warriors when Kyrie and Kevin Love were out. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, the team went through a playoff, four playoff brackets. They went through a regular season and they won. That's a championship to me. You have to let it stand. You have to let all championships stand. Let's not forget that Michael Jordan's first championship was against a hobbled Lakers team without James Worthy. So you could have those same arguments about does his championship count. I think just for the sake of getting rid of those stupid arguments, let every championship that is done by the letter of the law. Actually, I don't want to use the letter of the law. Christ, I hate that. Done by the rules. Um, to count. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say this championship has, it has to count because, you know, you, you did bring up a good point where the fans mean so much to the game. Like I just think about the Raptors uh, quote. I, I thought of anyway was Damari Carroll. He was talking about how the Raptors home court spots you like five to 10 points a game. I don't know how accurate (laughs) that is, but he played for the Raptors for a couple of years. So, I mean, I'll take his word for it, but those five to 10 points definitely weren't going to come from him because he was trash with the Raptors. (laughs) Like the nickname I had for Damari Carroll, like no disrespect, but when he was on the court, I just like, oh man, here comes trash bag Carroll again because he's just going to brick a three and he's not going to play good defense. And we paid him like what? I don't know how much we paid him anymore, but it was in like the 37, 37 million, something like that over three or four years. I forgot, but they definitely wasn't worth what we paid for, but all jokes aside. Yeah. You, this championship has to count because in all the series where injuries play a factor, fans want to say that it doesn't count. But in reality, you know, injuries are part of the game. So guys like Drogic going down, you know, Bam go- coming down with an injury for a couple of games, that's just part of the game. And I think you also have to 
say that this whole coronavirus like situation has affected the game and it's just part of the game that you have to take too if you want to put an asterisk on it saying it was the coronavirus season well you you can but regardless they still played high level basketball and at the end of the day the lakers they climbed their way up the mountain and went through a couple of really good teams especially that denver team they beat in the western conference finals i think in another year they can probably be one of the favorites maybe to come out of the west who knows but all jokes, like all, all points aside, this championship has to count because at the end of the day, they still d- did the work. Whether the circumstances yeah. they did it in were like different from other seasons, they were still were able to accomplish the ultimate goal that all NBA franchises should have in, in the NBA, which is to win a title. Mm-hmm. And, you know, LeBron James was on a mission and uh, he's about to get his fourth championship. Doing it for Kobe. Doing it for Kobe. Perfect way to end the season. I I really wanted – and if it wasn't the Raptors, I wanted the Lakers to win it, and I'm very, very happy it's going to happen. You know, usually when the Lakers win anything or when the Lakers have something amazing happen to them, I'm always salty about it. But especially because of uh, Kobe's passing in this season and then everything that's happened since then, I think it's a very storybook ending for this NBA season for the Lakers to win the championship. And, you know, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm not going to celebrate it because I will be celebrating this 2019 championship for the rest of my life. And I will always talk about it. No matter like who, whoever's like slanders the Raptors, I will always talk about this 2019 championship, but you know, hats off to the Lakers because they really, I think they really deserve it in this context, no matter what. I mean, they're a team that's together. I think the bubble has rewarded teams that actually have chemistry on and off the court. Yep. And Clippers didn't have it. They got bounced. Thank God. Can't stand them. Yes. Can't stand them. Jeez. Um, J.R. Smith's about to get a ring, too, by the way. Yeah. Dion Waiters was set to get a ring no matter what, apparently. So I think they're, like, the two biggest winners in this case. Because <laughs> not too long ago, J.R. Smith was on the blacklist of the NBA because, you know, with his blunder in the NBA Finals a couple of years ago, which I will never forget. Like, I was watching that live that night, and I was just thinking, uh, oh, man, like, LeBron James, he's putting up an all-time performance. Maybe the, the Cavs can win this series. And then J.R. Smith just ruined ruins it. it. And then we're just like, wow. Is this like the last series we're gonna see J.R. Smith play in the NBA? One of the funniest moments. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how nice remember LeBron- Twitter. Remember Twitter right after yeah. the memes. Just like right yeah. after the memes were flooding, and I was just like, "Wow, this is hilarious." Yeah. I hope they don't have any hot soup in the Disney resorts. <laughs> Hopefully they don't. But, anyways, oh, we've been talking a little bit too long about the NBA Finals. We've got to transition yeah. into the off season because that's where we're headed. So since we're all Raptors fans here, we're going to talk a little bit about the Raptors offseason in this segment. So a lot of talk, there's been a lot of talk about moves the Raptors could potentially make with, Mm -hmm. you know, Montrezl Harrell apparently being interested in signing with the Raptors. You know, there's been talk about trading, signing and trading Fred Van Fleet to the Pacers for Oladipo. I've heard all these like really bogus rumors anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much truth they have, but I guess I want to start out with you, David. Like, what does the ideal offseason look like for the Toronto Raptors? 
the size on a long-term contract. That's what it looks like. Absolutely. Do nothing else, and that's all I want. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I just Dave Festchuk's a good journalist to kind of follow up on these things. He seems to be like the guy that follows the MLSC, which are the ownership group. And I just hear about um, just the reports coming out of that of just kind of how they realize now they messed up by not offering him a contract last summer. No shit. Um, and just like the fact that that contract hasn't happened yet, yet they're, yet they're giving six-year contracts to Brendan Shanahan, who runs Maple Leafs team that hasn't made it out of the first round. So where's the fairness there? That's another conversation. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it just seems like from like, I'm, I'm purely speculating, but it seems like a bunch of old white dudes in a boardroom that love their hockey, that don't recognize what they have with this basketball team. Mm-hmm. And they should be paying Masai and they should be treating him like their best staffer because he is. He's been bringing in all the revenue and he's changed that franchise in a lot of ways. Um, I think that Masai, as some writers are alluding to, may be thinking of plans outside of basketball. I also wouldn't blame him for trying to look at a team like New York to grow his brand in terms of, you know, building basketball in Africa. Yes. Um, I wouldn't, you know, blame him aside for either of those things. So I think an A off season has him signed. A B off season has Bobby Webster coming back because if he's Masai's going to go no matter what, at least have someone that's capable to keep it going and have some continuity. Um, right. I mean, you know, I'll let you guys go – uh, deep into player stuff um, before I give my takes, but I think that's I think that's the most important part of any organization is having the right decision makers in place because good players come and go like we've seen with Kawhi, but having those decision makers that are good means more more talents is in the pipeline. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that point of Masai Jiri being the guy that MLSE needs to pay out of everybody, and you know in their front offices with their teams because the Raptors best years have coincided with Masai's tenure in Toronto. That's a no coincidence. The fact that he was able to turn around this team in his first year and get them to where they were, it's, it's a testament to Masai's basketball mind. He just knows the right moves to make. He knows when to gamble. He knows, well, I mean, Granted, the Bruno Caboclo, that's always the one move that people mm-hmm. point out that didn't pan out for for Messiah um, anyway. But regardless, he needs to get paid. He needs his money. You need to throw him whatever you can throw. You, you need to give him the bag and, and the truck, the Brinks truck. Bring out everything for Messiah Jiri because I think – I don't want to start, like, start uh, speculating here, but – if Masai leaves the Raptors, I feel like they might start going on a downward trajectory because mm-hmm. like David was saying, these organizations, it starts at the top. And if you have that reputation of Masai Ujiri, I think regardless of what happens, you're going to be considered by free agents because Masai knows how to build a team. And then you also put stock in the fact that he's able to find gems along with his staff of Dan Tolzman, Bobby Webster, all those guys, they're, they're great at evaluating talent that isn't necessarily viewed as top talent by other scouts. So you have faith in that too. And I think the Raptors, they're always going to be okay as long as they have Messiah Jiri. So that's definitely priority number one for the Raptors. But I also think that for Masai, 
he's keeping all his options open right now because he's a hot commodity, you know? It's just the same way that LeBron James enters his contracts like uh, with player options because he wants to keep his um, flexibility, whether if he wants to leave the situation or not. And Masai is the hottest uh, executive asset right now in the NBA. Everybody wants a piece, whether it's the New York Knicks. Granted, I don't know if even Masai can save the New York Knicks because that starts with Dolan. And we, we've harped on Dolan a lot in this yeah. podcast, so I'll save, I'll save that for another time. And, you know, even like a team like Washington, I, I don't know what he can do with Washington because their, their flexibility isn't that great either with their big contracts like John Wall. But, I, again, I can also see Masai pursue ventures outside of basketball because at the end of the day, what he's most passionate about is, you know, developing the game in Africa. And I, you, people even talk about him getting involved with politics. And I think he can be that type of guy in, in the political sphere. I mean, I don't know much about politics. And maybe you could talk a little bit more, Jeff, about that. But mm-hmm. I just think that the world is Messiah. Or, uh, I always mess up these, uh, these phrases whenever I try to bring them up in the podcast. Like, the world is Messiah's oyster, I guess. Because he can do whatever he wants. I don't know. That was fucking cheesy. Yeah. I'll let you go, go now, Jeff. Um, I agree with both of you guys. I think that it starts with Masai because right now the Raptors throughout the league um, are known for having a great organization and it starts from the top. And I think that that reputation starts to tarnish once Masai is gone. So um, that's an interesting report that David was uh, mentioning about how um, they – the MLSC prioritizing Brendan Shanahan over um, uh, Masai, which is interesting and also not surprising, which because again, the Maple Leafs are like their number one priority, unfortunately, even though they've been disappointing to say the least. Um, from there though, um, also actually another thing is again, if there's no Masai, there's no way Giannis is coming. I really yeah. don't think that Giannis, like our, our key to getting Giannis, if Giannis, um, wanted to come to Toronto would be Masai, and without Masai, there's not, that's not happening. Um, in terms of the players, now I guess we can just transition to the players and stuff. Uh, I've heard uh, Montrezl Harrow, um, especially since um, Marcus All has left. For some well, reason. it's uh, tentative. He he hasn't necessarily decided to return to Barcelona yet. There's been some like conflicting reports, but from oh. what I hear, he's He's still kind of um, mulling the On prospect the of going back to Barcelona. Okay, that's well. We'll see about that. I I saw that report earlier. And I was like, okay, but um, Montres Harrell, he'd be an interesting fit. Um, bit of an undersized center, but he's got the hustle. He's a tenacious rebounder. He'd be he'd be a decent fit. Um, I've also heard. Uh, you, you mentioned Victor Oladipo. Another interesting play I've heard was a Lamelo Ball. Um, that God, was such no. a. Please. I don't know what to think of that. I don't know what assets we'd have to give up for Lamelo Ball. Um, I don't know why that was reported. Burn my jersey. Sorry. I will burn my jersey. <laughs> yeah. No, I will also. If we get Lamelo Ball, I might be done because that that's the end for us. Is it the reputation of the family, or do you not like his skill set? Like, what, what, why? I, I just don't believe in him as a prospect. Like, I, 
I'll, I'll admit he, his passing looks very good and his playmaking ability is good, but outside of this, like we've talked about Lamelo a little bit on this podcast. I don't think he's going to be even that much better than Lonzo. I think Lonzo is clearly the better defender, clearly the more engaged defender and their passing is about the same. I don't really believe in Lamelo's shot. He's a little too streaky and his form is a little bit unorthodox. I just don't think he's probably at best. He's like, um, a lesser version of Rondo, a young Rondo anyway, in my opinion. Um, if we're going to go on Lamelo, bad defense, I don't think it's going to get better. Um, guy that takes shots like he's good at taking them, but he's not. Yep. So that kind of like teaches me, like you have to wonder, like, can you coach this guy and say, listen, only do these good creative plays you're good at in the right points. Uh, you're not a good shooter yet, and you're going to have to, you know, go by our coaching and take your time, even though it's going to take years. I don't know if Lamelo's that guy. Uh, Lonzo always seemed to have a head on his shoulders. With Lamelo, just the way he plays, it kind of – that speaks to a different mentality. And I just I, – I look at the highlights and essentially what people are saying, and I don't see someone that's going to help a team win. I see someone that's going to be relevant, but I don't see a guy that's always in the playoffs. He's a top three projected pick. Like I uh, personally, I would like just based off the draft rankings I've seen, it's Edwards, Wiseman, and Ball. Um, if he's ranked three, why do you still not see him as a good fit for the Raptors? I'll tell you what. I just don't think he fits in with the Raptors culture because the Raptors culture has been set in terms of like working hard and being accountable I just don't think he's that type of player I think he's he's a little too immature right now for the Raptors like sure his talent is very you know it's very intriguing for a lot of teams and the the potential it's there but I, I just don't see him right now as a fit for the Raptors anyway because the Raptors are in a little bit of a interesting situation where they're in between whether they can they're at a crossroads where they can rebuild or they can still continue to compete. And I think we're going to learn a lot about what path they're willing to take this off season in terms of the moves that they make. But I still think this Raptors team is always, they're always going to try to compete no matter what. So I don't see them making a move for a guy like LaMelo ball, who's clearly right now a little too immature for this Raptors team. And I don't think he's going to contribute to winning, like David was saying. I, I don't think he's a winning basketball player right now in his career. And I, I wouldn't want him on the Raptors at all for, for the publicity and for his game in general. Yeah, he'd be in my do not draft list. I don't care if I'm picking three or 17. I just don't want him. Yeah. Um, you just have a feeling about certain players. And, like, that's just how I have a feeling with him. In terms of, like, the Raptors players uh, this offseason – I'd love for Fred Van uh, Vliet to come back to the Raptors on a below $20 million deal because I just – I have my reservations about him as a starting point guard. Um, I just don't think his playmaking is fantastic. And it hasn't improved a ton over the last couple of years, but he just it, – it's pretty clear he just does so much for inside that locker room. And he has a – he plays great defense, takes great shots. So having him come back would be, I think – probably the best thing. I think that Pascal is a bit too old for us to do a rebuild. 
she's what 26 now turning 27 yeah um so you know we're gonna have to ride and die with pascal and realistically find a number one option because i just don't think that you know you can if you're pascal you can get all the necessary skills to be a number one that quickly i think this is i think this off season for me is can you gear up best for the next off season yeah you know I think another year of being in the playoffs and going to the second round isn't a bad thing. If you kind of do what Miami has done or do what the Clippers did last year, which is max out your potential. I thought the Raptors almost maxed out their potential. They choked in game seven. So that was really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Classic old Raptors just choking. Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think, you probably have to kick the Ananobi extension down the can to next summer so you can open up that cap space and pay him more then. Yeah, um, risky. Risky, uh, the only way to do it, though, probably. And yeah. my hot take would actually be trade Norvell. Oh, for who? I don't know. Uh, cap space. If you want to get that OG done deal done quicker, you know, he's one, more, he's one step closer to LeBron now. He's with Clutch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just think Norm is hot, so, you know, I think the Boston series said it best like he'll he'll like lose you games, he'll win you games, but I think realistically, you need I would like someone that's just a consistently smarter player. If you can package him in a deal for Oladipo in like a one year tryout run, that'd be nice. I don't know if that happens or not. You need a lot of things to go right, and you'd obviously need to, need to include other things. Um, I hope the Terrence Davis situation gets cleared up. I don't, uh, I don't know if he's long for Toronto. I, I'm a bit concerned about the whole mask fiasco. I'm concerned about how he handled that. I don't know enough about the guy. I can't read too much into it. I'd be unfair to him. We're but, talking about Terrence Davis? Yeah. The mask situation. In the, in the bubble, he refused to wear a mask for a while. Oh. I, I also, I, I don't know if it was Terrence Davis, but... There's like a lot of actually NBA players that are anti-vax, which um, oh, I mean I'm not gonna touch on that too much because it's a yeah. hot topic. But that was yeah. that was also TD. But I mean, I think it's worth noting that uh, black people in the states have had a rough history with vaccinations, as yeah, um, you know, a lot of racism from yeah. the states came from experimental vaccines being tested on black people first. That. Obviously, it was really damaging to those people and just so distrust in vaccines. So mm-hmm. I can't blame that on them. If it's just uh, like some white dude from Indiana that's 50 named Bob spreading QA non-mask theories, then probably fuck off. Yeah. But um, everything deserves context. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like, I hope that uh, TD and the Raptors come through in the second season and everything's cool and tight. Uh, a bit concerned about how that all ended this year. And uh, I think that's it for me. Yeah. Well, it was, was very say... confusing like to see um, a guy like Terrence Davis anyway not get minutes in the playoffs because yeah. um, the whole season he's been terrific. He's been a revelation for the Raptors. And then in the postseason, we just barely saw him. And I think it just comes down to consistency with him. I think Nick Nurse didn't see the consistent effort that um, – he was providing them in the regular season when they entered the bubble. I don't think he was providing enough effort on defense 
and his shot was looking a little bit shaky. So I, I don't put too much stock in his struggles in the bubble because I think he'll come back next season a little bit better than he did last year. But in terms of like moving a guy like Norman Powell or Terrence Davis, I think it wouldn't be a bad option because those are two players that have pretty good stock right now, more so Norman Powell than Terrence Davis. But, you know, initially I wasn't too high on the Oladipo rumors, but now that I think about it, he's only a one-year deal. And if we make a move for Oladipo, whether he's the number one guy on the team or not, we'll find out. But regardless, we're not going to have to, or we don't have to commit to him past, you know, the off season where we need our cap space. So I think it would be a, a pretty logical move for the Raptors to make, to make a play for Oladipo. But I wouldn't want to give up a guy like Fred. Because if I look at Fred, I think he's going to be our point guard of the future. The way I, I've seen his progression, it's been a lot similar to Kyle Lowry although it's been a little bit earlier in his career compared to Kyle. I just think while he's not the playmaker we need him to be right now, I think he can definitely grow into it with more seasons of experience being the leader of a team. And if there's anybody else that I'd want to succeed for Kyle, for someone to succeed Kyle Lowry in that starting role, I think Fred's that guy because we've been grooming him for a while now. He knows his, he knows the system very well and he he's a very similar player to Kyle in terms of the way he plays, albeit he's not a great finisher at the rim yet. And that's another question mark that he has, but I have no problem with committing for, to Fred Van Fleet this off season. I think you absolutely have to. It's just the question of how much are we going to pay him? Because the New York Knicks are going to pay for somebody this off season, whether it's Fred, or if they're going to make a trade for um, RJ Barrett, I've also heard whispers of them trying to make a move for Oladipo as well. So I, I don't know what the Knicks do this offseason, but regardless, we need to lock up Fred, I think. Besides um, getting that Messiah Jerry extension, I think um, the OG extension, you can definitely probably just leave it in the back burner because if we lose OG but we end up getting Giannis, then, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter at that point. But OG's a good player too, so I don't know. We'll have to see what... Um, happens there. I, I've been rambling too long. Jeff, what do you think? No, I was going to say, um, if if uh, we go through with David's idea of like train Norman, I think then Terrence Davis would be the guy to stay because he could kind of replace that role of that six man who can uh, kind of give that offensive spark off the bench, you know? Yeah. Um, and I really do like his potential. Um, and uh He's gonna be. He's kind of like he'll be a cheap option because then, yeah, you're right. You're, you're getting rid of. You're shipping off Norman's uh, contract, and and if it's the tr- if it's a trade for Victor Oladipo, that's a kind of nice duel to have. Um, do we really see Fred VanVleet as a long term um, starting point guard for the future for the Raptors? Because I guess obviously Lowry's not gonna get any um, uh, younger. He's gonna either retire or if the like uh, get traded or something, do we see Fred Van Fleet as the, the franchise point guard? Uh, I'll, I'll push back on, uh, on you, John. I just don't see it. I, I love, I love Fred. I love what he's about. Um, but you can't teach someone sometimes to be, have a higher basketball IQ in certain aspects. Like Fred's basketball IQ for scoring is really high. I don't think he thinks and sees the game the same way that a Kyle Lowry does though. I think Kyle's 
a lot more of that playmaker that knows how to get guys the ball and manipulate a defense in the way that he wants. I also think that it's underplayed just how athletic Kyle Lowry is in comparison to Fred. Mm -hmm. I mean, Fred tries all his finesse around the rim and Kyle just bull rushes you. It's not just determination that allows Kyle to do that. If that was the case, there'd be a lot of people in the NBA doing that better 5'10". But I mean, that guy's a hell of an athlete. He's really, he's, he has a, he's, for his size, he's fast and strong. Uh, Fred, not as much. I think Fred is the great shooter. He's got amazing handles. I think you see it a lot in that uh, pick and pop with Serge. Kyle always knows how to hit Serge in the perfect spot. So he steps into that jumper and he always makes it when he can step into it. Fred has never been able to get that kind of connection with his big. And I think a lot of the times when in clutch situations, like we saw in the last last game in game seven, when it's just Fred on the floor and he has to make, you know, those manipulations of the defense to get guys open, he struggles. And it's been a trend for the last couple of years. It's not something that he has exactly bucked. So that kind of gives me some reservations about him being the distributor for the team for the future. I think there's a space for him. If you have a taller point guard that can distribute, um, and if not, then I'd love him to just transition to the next uh, iteration of the Raptors and you know, him be there through that transition. Um, for the Norman Powell deal, I'd say the reason I say that is um, actually, no, we're talking about uh, whether Fred can be that guy. So I'll let you jump in, John or Jeff. Yeah, I mean, speaking of taller point guards that can distribute, um, that sounds like LaMelo Ball, but <laughs> ironically. But, you know, the only reason why I have um, a little bit more stock in the fact that Fred could be that starting point guard is, you know, Kyle Lowry, he wasn't he wasn't always this good of a playmaker. He wasn't always um, this guy that could run the offense. I think a lot of this comes with time and time and chemistry. I think he's built up the chemistry with Serge Ibaka to the point where they know where they're going to be when they execute that pick and roll so they can get it perfect. I think, you know, this has been Fred's first season in this, in a starting role, in a very, you know, prominent role. I think there's still a lot of growing pains that he needs to go through in order to become the point guard that Kyle Lowry's become over the years. And, you know, we know very well the, the growing pains that Lowry's had to go through in, you know, the regular season and in the playoffs. You know, it wasn't long ago we were talking about Kyle Lowry being a choker in the, in the NBA playoffs. I mean, granted, that was a lot of Raptor haters, but you can't deny the fact that he does, he did go missing sometimes in the playoffs. But regardless of what that, what happens or what happened, Kyle Lowry was able to overcome all of that and become a champion. And now he's viewed as one of the top point guards in the league due to his IQ in, in terms of his ability to play, make, and run a team. And I mean, one thing that Fred Van Fleet will never have on Kyle Lowry is, you know, the caboose, the behind, you know. He won't be able mm-hmm. to take the charges the same way Kyle Lowry does because, yeah. you know, Lowry's durability is a, a lot credited to that. So uh, Fred will never be that, like, in terms of Kyle Lowry. But I think he can become a good playmaker if we give him the time to develop. And Raptors fans have been very um, – uh, I don't want to say they've been patient, but they've been – you know, we've watched Kyle Lowry through thick and thin. And eventually he reached that point where he was able to be a championship level point guard. And I think we can expect the same from Fred because 
Fred's still young. He's only like 25 or something like that. And by the time Lowry reached the Raptors, he was, uh, I believe, 26 or 27. So I, I still think, you know, Fred, Fred's a little bit of a late bloomer. He can get these skills that we need him to get. Just hope. Uh, you wanted to talk about Norman Powell. Yeah, I just think his situation isn't one where it's kind of like you, you keep him around as a feel-good story because you like him. I think that he's in the prime of his career. He's in his late 20s or he's heading there. And at this point, he's still a, you know, a guy that's a bit hot and cold on offense, really good athlete. And on defense, he's just going to be, it seems like he's locked into being like the average defender, which in the playoffs, especially for how the Raptors have built their defense, means being the weakest link. Um, he just, the guy's been a, the guy kind of has, has has lapses. It's just kind of part of his DNA, I guess, his basketball DNA. Um, so you're gonna have good good Norman Powell and bad Norman Powell. Um, I think he's got one year left on his deal, and he's gonna get if everything stays the same, he's gonna get paid a bigger contract, and that he does deserve to be a starter. And I just think if you're the Raptors, you bring back Van Vliet, or if you're trying to build a championship contender. I'm not sure that Norm Powell as your starter is, or Norm Powell making 15 million is going to be the thing that makes it happen or that puts you in the right direction. I think especially if we sign some good players in 2021 that we should prioritize over Norm, then that's a better option. And right now his, his value in terms of the trade market, I don't know if it's ever going to be better because, you know, mid-season trades, maybe, but you never know. And like that, I think I've just made my case for the off season. What ha- next off season? What happens? Well, it's it's a bit of unknown. So I think right now is your best opportunity. Where if you're trying to retool for the next run, Norm Powell is the piece you use to either do a tryout on someone like Oladipo, who fits the Raptors because he's a star that I think would be comfortable playing in Canada. You can't say that of every American player, and. I mean, he's, you know, he's, if he comes back to good health, he's probably worth the shot. So he's a lot better player. Yeah. And, you know, even all this talk about Norman Powell has me thinking about like other moves the Raptors could potentially make. I don't want to trigger the Raptors fans here because I know at this point, everybody swears by Kyle Lowry. We want the statue to be built of him outside Scotiabank Arena. Although, you know, I, I don't understand why the Maple Leafs have never built any statues because of course they have like such a rich history of you know stanley cup winners and great players but they never losing let's put that out there all you these fans you have a history of losing you were losers yeah history of losing now but i mean years and counting suck it yeah painful for them but you know (laughs) all these like boomers out here talking about how like the leafs were so good in the 60s and why don't you guys have a statue like i bet kyle lowry's statue is going to be built before you know any leafs player which is ironic. But, I mean, to go back to my original point, I was going to say that maybe the Raptors might look at trading a guy like Kyle Lowry right now because he's on an expiring deal. And I think a lot of veteran teams that are looking to compete would love Kyle Lowry on their team. Like If you think about it, Lowry, he completely, I think, he completely maximized his uh, postseason run, in my opinion, for him anyway, because – especially in the Boston series, he was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And 
I think a winning team, like especially, you know, Lakers or Clippers, you know, well, Clippers, they, they didn't really do much winning in the bubble. But, you know, even a team like Milwaukee, uh, there's a lot of teams in the league that would love Kyle Lowry on their team. And I think he shines best in a role where he doesn't have to be the go-to guy. You know, especially we saw last year with Kawhi. He just sets the tone for the team in terms of the chemistry and intensity. And then Kawhi just goes out there and, you know, he's he's the cyborg he is. He gets his points. He makes some defensive plays. And Lowry's like the leader of the locker room. I think a lot of teams could use a guy like Lowry. And his value is probably a lot higher than we'd expect for a 34-year-old 35 year old point guard where he's on the last deal of his last year of his big contract. So, I mean, as, as I'd be very sad if Kyle Lowry was traded because he is the Raptors, but you could probably recuperate some value if you trade a guy like Lowry. Um, Oh, did you want to say something, David? I was going to make a big, no, my thing is I was thinking about the Miami comparison uh, a little bit now. And I'm actually even more nervous about the prospect of the future because, I mean, I'm not as nervous if Masai stays. But if Masai's gone, um, we have like maybe two years max before I think we do have to go on a rebuild if Masai's not here. Because the thing is, if you look at, if you want to have that direct comparison with Miami, Miami's got years, even if they do not land Giannis next year, because they can build off the dynamic duo of Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo. With the Raptors, Siakam, like that's, and Fred, I guess, if we decide to keep Fred as I have him as our franchise point guard, is that what the, the, the two that we want to build around? I'm not as optimistic with that. I think that the Lowry era is like the guaranteed era of like the, the best we can do as of right now if Masai is not the president. Because if Masai's president, then I, I have more faith that maybe he'll land a guy like a Giannis or we can find an unknown prospect. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to get a little nervous about the future, um, the trajectory of the Raptors and that maybe a rebuild isn't as distant as we may seem as we think it might be yeah i think that's fair i mean we don't really have that guy and you kind of need that um finding that person in the rough is what we're going to have to do and it's tough when you're in toronto and if you're an athlete like it's it's not a joke to like mention that like you go on turn on the tv and the first 30 minutes of every sports channel is talking about some hockey teams that you could care less about or that mm-hmm. America could care less about and that only a certain few people in Canada could really care about. And you're just an afterthought and you're disconnected. It makes, it's, you know, it's a decent argument. It's not just vanity and it's a real thing and you pay more in taxes. And so you're making less money on your deals. Like these are all real things that is different from, you know, a hot, sunny, beach area like Miami that is a fun city mm-hmm. just like Toronto's a fun city Miami's a fun city so you, so it's kind of like you're gonna have players like Lou Will or Chris Weber who last summer jumped on the airways to trash Toronto like it, it's gonna always happen I think that's gonna make it that's why I said all depot because you you have to have a guy that's first of all not an asshole and second of all okay playing in a colder place that's still sort of like america but not america Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's a challenge for free agents. So you have to do it. You have to find diamonds in the rough. And, you know, does that really fit with the past timeline of a Pascal and Fred who have probably five more good years left? Uh, no, it doesn't. You know, it's not like a Jason Tatum or a Tyler Hero or Bam timeline. I think that you do need to make that free agent signing of an international player or that one few Americans that are cool coming up here. Um, I think that's tough. I think that's why the, the point made of John of flipping Lowry for some for something, um, whether it's draft capital or capital that you can move in a trade, is definitely worth it. I think that I you know as tough as it would be to see, Kyle Lowry is a guy that wants to compete for rings until he's done. I don't think he'd be against it. And he loves Toronto, but he's a he also just loves playing basketball in a competitive environment. You know, he's going to be a pro about that. It'd be tough for people in Toronto to see, but at this point, if he's traded, I think it could be amicable. That said, I wouldn't trade – I would trade my hypothetical first son before I tried Kyle Lowry to the Los Angeles Clippers. Mm. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Any other team, even Miami, okay. Clippers and I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? They would love him. traded or not, you know, regardless of what he does, Kyle Lowry, he's always going to have a home in Toronto. We're going to put up the statue for him eventually. But, you know, just all my thoughts about um, the Raptors anyway, being a free agent destination. I think the the Toronto culture, it's it's for hoopers. It's for real hoopers that want to play basketball in a competitive environment. Like David was saying, I think – a lot of players that they don't really care. Well, a lot of players care about, um, you know, their fame and their situation in terms of like where branding. they're living, their lifestyle, the personal branding, everything like that. A lot of players care about that. But at the end of the day, the Raptors, we're not about that. We're about winning NBA championships. We're about competing in the NBA playoffs. And I think that's, that's a culture that's very attractive for a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo who doesn't necessarily care about all the, like the bright lights of LA we're, we're about hoopers we're about hoopers that work hard you know mm-hmm. they should put that on a t-shirt or something I don't know or make make it somewhat like sound better but mm-hmm. th- that's what the Raptors culture is we're about hard work we're about playing hard and I don't know that's just what I think about the Raptors anyway. And I think that's how a lot of people view the Raptors in the, around the league anyway. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, I think to an extent we're both right. It's, it's, it's all that. I don't think it's entirely black and white. I think there is a lot of context to whoever the person is. And um, I think the one thing that slept on is that if you aren't a player from the States, it's not even just the winning culture anymore. It's like you don't really care whether you're what country and you just want to play the highest level of basketball and Toronto and many New York. So, you know, with, you know, the wonderful amount of like multiculturalism and diversity in the city, you see guys like Serge just always shouting it out. I mean, that matters that because there is more international players coming and players like Giannis are tied to the Raptors because of Maasai and because Toronto would be a nice city for a guy like that that has a more worldly background luka Doncic to the raptors let's let's make that happen right now (laughs) i love that that would be amazing no but the multiculturalism of toronto is unique 
um, in comparison mm -hmm. to a lot of American cities. Um, I've talked to like American people and like, it's different. Like in America, it's more of an assimilation type of thing rather in, in Toronto, it's really just about, it's a cultural mosaic Melting where pot. everyone, yeah. Where everyone is just like embracing each other's cultures, loving each other's cultures. Um, I remember there was a viral video of like when Giannis, I believe it's one of his first few times coming to Toronto and the whole Greek community, I think was at the game yep. and they were, and he was just shocked by the amount of Greek people in Toronto. Um, and then the <laughs> African connection is a huge uh, element yep. too. Um, Nigerian connection, um, big supporter of Giants for Africa. I definitely see that connection, especially if Masai, again, the key is if Masai is there. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's the good connection. And then also the Drake connection, the Drake element plays a little factor in terms of the the identity of the city. The, the clout. Um, well, just, yeah, just being, you know, recognized by one of the biggest artists in the world. I just think that there are elements to make Toronto a capable free agent destination for some people, some people like international players or some Americans. But at the end of the day, a winning organization should be the main priority for most players. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. Cool. And, you know, I think we've rented on a little bit too long with this Raptor talk. So we're going to wrap this one up uh, before we, end off this podcast david i just want to ask you if you want to shout anything out before we go um yeah check out uh canada news central it's a kind of like a national news watch uh for more i guess as the founders want to call it a more progressive uh type of news and if that's your thing take a look at it it's just essentially a new sharing service that i am one of the aggregators for at the moment and um trying to make big things with it awesome well we've had a very long and um very great discussion here with david so we're gonna let him go anyways this has been the nba's most valuable podcast we'll be back next week for another episode covering everything around the nba so till then we'll see you guys next time see ya